Okay, yep. welcome everybody to <laughs> this week's episode of Triple Feature. However, um, this week we have a special guest. Uh, before we introduce our guest, just like to remind everybody that my name is Emma, and I'm Freddie, and I'm Seabear. And we have a special guest with us today. Um, Joel is with us, recording from Kentucky. What city specifically in Kentucky? Louisville. Louisville. Got it. I figured, you know, I don't know a lot of other Not cities Louisville. in Kentucky. Louisville. Louisville. <laughs> you gotta say it right. <laughs> um, so, Joel is on the podcast with us tonight, today, um, because, well, a few weeks ago, when... Killers of the Flower Moon was released. I was doing what I always do, which is scroll through Letterboxd and look at everybody's reviews of the movie that I just watched. I just love that aspect of Letterboxd. It's like a community of people that are talking about the same things. But um, one review stood out to me, um, and it was your review, Joel. Um, and it is a very long review of the film and it kind of blew up. Um, it's yeah, up a little bit in the tens <laughs> of thousands of likes at this time. It has 16,309 likes on this review. And I can't tell you, is there a way? 149 comments. I am one of those comments that Joel eventually got around to <laughs> responding to because I mean if I got that many comments I I'm I'm impressed I would not have gotten back to all of the people that were trying to reach out to you <laughs> but essentially I was you know hoping that you would be a guest on the podcast to be able to talk to kill to to be able to talk about killers of the flower moon and here you are you're here so um Woo. talk about your review talk about what you wrote that you really think people resonated with. Talk about why people resonated with it. And you also were able to write an article. So I really just want to hear your thoughts and your perspective. Um, so go ahead, introduce yourself and tell our audience kind of your thoughts and perspective. Yeah. So first, hello, I'm Joel. Um, I am a citizen of the Osage Nation. Uh, I'm from Kentucky, uh, so I'm not on Osage land, uh, but I am a member of the tribe. So I think that uh, people really resonated in an insane way. It has been an yeah. absolute whirlwind. It's got, yeah, like you said, it has <laughs> 16,300 likes on here. Um, it yeah. has like 14 and a half on Twitter. It, it's been Crazy. it's been insane. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think what people really resonated with is just the the account of, you know, having background, having grown up hearing this story. Um it's a very personal thing that I wrote. And I, I think that uh, that aspect of it and just the, I guess, authenticity. Like, I didn't try to hold anything back. I didn't try to embellish anything. Um, just, you know, sat down and 
wrote this over the course of, I don't know, an hour and a half. Um, yeah, I'm really happy it's resonating with people um, because in this situation, a lot of times it's the non, uh, in this case, non-Osage, non-Indigenous, uh, but in general, it is the it is the usually dominant voice that is dominant when it comes to these stories. Um, so it's sure. it's been a really cool experience to be able to give my insight and yeah if if for anybody listening if you saw it if it made you view the film differently um, just know that I am so grateful for the opportunity to have uh, impacted you in that way. Well Very cool. I mean, it definitely impacted me as a non-member of the Osage community, um, but somebody with deep empathy for the people and the story. Um, so I guess for our audience who might not have read your review, what are some, you know, passages or um, specific parts that you think are, you know, your strongest points? Yeah, so um, just as in terms of being an indigenous person in this country in general, and Freddie, you can chime in if you'd like. um, (laughs) So often it feels like that we are taking on this Herculean task of, you know, making our voices heard, you know, having our struggles heard by non-indigenous communities, um, being visible in general. Uh, there are studies that show that uh, many states don't cover any Native history post-1900 in their curriculum, and many states don't include a Native American at all in their K-12 education curriculum. Um, so visibility is a massive thing, and with that, it's so easy to miss issues like murdered and missing Indigenous women, um, and all, like so many other issues that are impacting our communities. Um, and so that's that's all. That's going back to this specific review. It's really been a profound experience to see so many people embrace, you know, an Osage voice when it comes to our own story. Um, yeah, I'll just go through and touch on some different things that I wrote in here. Yeah, um, so, good. yeah, I grew up hearing this story. Uh, like, my dad told me about it. Um, so, a while back, 2017, um, when the book was published, my dad's now wife got me a copy of the book. Um, and <clears throat> it was interesting to hear you know an outsider talk about it for the first time because for me again it was something that I grew up with my great-grandpa went through he didn't talk about it a lot um from what I've heard from other people I've talked to their ancestors didn't really talk about it a lot uh, because it was such a traumatic time and so it was really interesting to see somebody from the outside looking in and kind of in a sense trying to make sense of it um, yeah. or, you know, tell it as faithfully as possible. Um, I was actually driving in Lexington in college a little bit after the book got released, and I turned on the radio, and I was, like, hearing 
it was just I can't even remember what station it was but I was hearing these things uh, I heard the word Osage and I was like what is going on and it was David Grant doing a radio interview so I just kind of sat and listened to that for a while um, which again was incredible to hear this story being shared among people um, so when I heard Martin Scorsese was directing it it was I was knocked off my feet it was incredible because this is easily one of the greatest filmmakers to ever do it right yeah and so with that comes a massive audience that these stories don't usually have Um, but with that I was also worried that again an outsider was going to come in and kind of tell it in a way that wasn't necessarily fully accurate, which was originally the case. Um, You guys touched on this in your episode about the film, but originally this was going to be centered on Tom White and the FBI coming and saving the day, to my understanding at least, coming and saving the day, and that's just not true. You know, many of these murders weren't investigated, much less solved. And so, yes, the FBI did crack this, but there were scores of other murders that have never been given the time of day like these have um so back in 2021 um i started to you know i I decided that i wanted to be more culturally involved with the tribe and one of the big beliefs that we've had for ages and ages is that you are not like a full person until you're given your name uh, because like mm. it said in the film when you pass on um, that's the name that is spoken and that's how every that's how everybody uh, knows who you are when you pass mm. um, so I, I decided that I wanted to be that I wanted to start the process of you know finding out or like being bestowed a name essentially um, and with that I needed to find out what clan that my family is um traditionally a part of so it's the most recent male ancestor whatever his clan is that's the clan you are so within nuclear families there can be different clans say a husband and wife are in different clans and they have a child that child will be a part of the father's clan and not the mother's Um, but with that my family didn't uh practice traditional naming uh for ages for like generations which is uh a product of colonialism, right? <laughs> um, and so I had yeah. to get in touch with the cultural center, get a family tree and all this stuff to try to track down what my clan could be, which is, I'm still working on it now. Um, but every time I called the cultural center, um, I, I got like, hey, you know, we're working on it. We're super busy. We're going to make, you know, X amount of moccasins for this yeah. scene. <laughs> we got to, you know, yeah. do this, that do that. So laugh. they were, they were, <laughs> yeah. So they were they were so involved and it was so nice to hear, you know, as an Osage person, because it's like, okay, these people are really taking the time to invest or they're investing their time in the tribe, in the culture to, you know, tell the story as faithfully as possible. And granted, like I said in my review, um, I would love for an Osage filmmaker to be granted an opportunity like this, but nobody's giving an Osage Scorsese money right now. 
right? Sadly, um, yeah. Right, yeah. Um, that's just not the world we live in currently. Um, Hollywood, yeah. Exactly. Um, so for, I think that he told it in a very respectful way. We were, I felt that we were very well represented. Um, again, I just speak for myself. I don't speak for anybody else in my tribe. Uh, we are not a monolith, just like indigenous people in general are not a monolith. Um, but the language, the costumes, the table settings, everything, um, was so meticulously done or meticulously paid attention to to represent the culture and then i think this is i think one of you guys might have said this in your episode but this is not the story for the osage people this is the story for the non-osage Right, it's the well, story. Well, I think that was something for, that um, yeah. an Osage. I think we were kind of just talking about some of the initial reactions coming out of the premiere because Freddie and I had watched some interviews from an Osage sure. audience, and that was something that they had said was you okay know, because it's from because yes. it's yeah. from the perspective of you know the white people that were doing the crimes. It is more so about the white audience kind of like dealing with guilt and like right, yeah. just their own maybe internalized racism or just ignorance in general. And so, yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah. sorry. And I do. Th- yeah, I, 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 I definitely I agree do. with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like <laughs> specifically with with Martin Scorsese not being indigenous let alone osage you know it's he's telling this he's telling this story from a perspective that he is going to be the most familiar with i think had he had he tried to like tell yeah, it from absolutely. an osage perspective he just wouldn't be able to right um, yeah and um one of the language consultants on the film uh, gave that interview with, I believe, the Hollywood Reporter, um, where he said it would take an Osage to make the film from yep. an Osage perspective. And I wholeheartedly agree. Like, there's no way that you can tell this story from our perspective unless you are one of us. Yep. Right. Yeah. Um, which is why I'm hopeful that eventually that th- there will be an Osage filmmaker who can get the chance to adapt uh, Charles H. Redcorn's A Pipe for February, which is a novel that tells the story of the reign of terror from somebody living through it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be a, that would be a a very good companion piece for killers of the flower moon to get the, the procedural, um, the, the outside perspective, focusing on, focusing on Hale and Burkhart and then having one from the flip side. Yeah, I think that would be I think that would be great. Um and I do um I'm I agree with what you were saying earlier with you know, people I think pe- people do say, you know, I think there's been like some level of criticism. I wouldn't say that it's like overwhelming, but there is there there are a lot of people that it seems like their sort of default response is to say you know, this is a this is a story that should be being told from the Osage perspective. But like you said, 
people aren't giving Osage directors Scorsese money. And on right. top of that, if somebody did, I think people people that want to make that criticism and just not go not not talk about it any further than that are the same people that would never see that movie if yeah. it wasn't directed by Martin Scorsese. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, yeah, so it's and that's, just that's it's, and if you're gonna talk about visibility and yeah. trying to get more people exactly. to empathize with those causes it's 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 unfortunate that it has to be a white person and it has to be through the white perspective in the society that we live in right now but yeah. it's kind of a good thing yeah. that there's at least a, yeah. lo- a big audience that's gonna learn this story and learn about this culture for the first time probably yeah and then hopefully right, yeah. this is absolutely something that can um hopefully this is something that can introduce introduce non-indigenous audiences to more of these stories like you were Mm -hmm. saying that these are stories that are it's not that like this specific story is you know very it's very very specifically osage yeah it's very specifically osage but it's it's all across Indian country there are stories oh absolutely of a similar nature to this and a lot of it is just completely unknown like I when I grew up I thought that you know because I was aware that people weren't people in general weren't learning about any of our histories in the United States in public school but I always was under the assumption that people at least knew about uh, the Trail of Tears and um, right. Wounded Knee. And then I get to college and like nobody knows what the hell Wounded Knee is. And I'm like, okay. I mean, right. sure. And then I'm meeting more people and it's like they don't even know the the Trail of Tears. I'm like, not even the Trail of Tears? I well, mean, that's, that's, that's just a really bad education. Right. Yeah. I grew up in yeah. conservative yeah, I remember West I was Texas and in... learned about the Trail of Tears. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I remember I was in middle school and I I felt very disheartened, I guess, with the the quote unquote Native American chapter, because it was like it, 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 it confined us, I felt, to, you know, these relics of the old West and they're not around anymore and cowboys and Indians and treaties broken and all that, as opposed to like actually diving in and covering in a contemporary context. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. And that's where like for a little bit of context with me. Um, so my grandfather grew up in a Catholic orphanage on the reservation. And so it is, I mean, it's exactly mm-hmm. what you would expect. It, it essentially a boarding school did, but it's, you know, yeah. an orphanage. And so that's a story that, is just now like kind of getting light and a lot of it had to do with them finding mass graves in Canada yeah. and right. the thing that was crazy with that was you saw so many people a lot of Americans specifically that really wanted to for some reason try and find like a level of patriotism in 
oh, like Canada is being shamed. And it's like you just haven't even opened the closet yet to find right. your skeletons. Exactly. Like, the, you, what are you talking about? Right. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost an identical system, to my understanding at least. It's almost an identical system, like the boarding schools here versus Canada. So it's yeah. like what, what makes you think on any level for even a second that that's isolated up there? Yeah, no. Because we're America, because we're down here. <laughs> yeah, they're like the border. It's like, okay. Right. Racism doesn't have a border. No. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Are there any other points yeah. about your um, review and the reception it's gotten that you want to make um, um, about the film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, like you guys were saying, like, visibility is mm. massive with Scorsese. And I'm honestly thankful that he decided to make this. Uh, because, like you were saying, if it's an indigenous filmmaker, it has such a narrow audience in our culture today. Um, there's a movie called Fancy Dance that has Lily Gladstone as its lead that's playing the festival circuit right now, waiting nice. to be picked yeah. up. Yep. And it's, mm-hmm. by a, it's by an indigenous filmmaker, Erica Tremblay, who it's a fantastic movie. Um, I saw it via a Sundance screener and I loved it. Very cool. um, so I really hope that gets picked up. But yeah, it's, it's such a narrow audience right now. Whereas Scorsese mm-hmm. has this massive reach. And a budget. so, and this is it. I've, I respect the way he told the story. Because for somebody that doesn't know it, that didn't grow up learning about it, it is a very good way to enter into it, to know everything going on from the jump. I've seen criticisms that want it to be more of a whodunit, um, but I think that a strength of the film is that you just have to sit and follow these people as they commit heinous act after heinous act, you know, without any sort of breather yeah as a as an audience that is not a member of the osage i felt like i was getting hit with a car yeah every yeah you know every few minutes it's it's an uncomfortable sitting yeah. it should be uncomfortable right. <laughs> yeah it should yeah. absolutely yeah yeah and I, um, I it's it's really upsetting to me um, that like the two main talking points about the movie have the run been time. the runtime and Brendan Fraser. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like people if, need to get like, over themselves. This, this movie that unveils these atrocities that have not been widely known. All that we're talking about is that it's a long movie, and that Brendan Fraser yelled in a courtroom. Like, yeah. c- like can we talk about the content? Is yeah. that we just need to there needs to be a refocusing, I feel. Yeah. yeah, I think like the coolest thing, like you were saying with the Scorsese stuff, is like it's just cool that he used the blank check to do this kind of yeah. story. Cause it's just like yeah. like any like any filmmaker could like like the Daniels next movie for everything everywhere, like they're gonna get a blank check for sure. Like any studio is gonna be like, Yeah, make whatever you want. But like the thing is right. is like with someone like Scorsese like we've been saying is like he has so many hit after hit after hit after Absolutely. hit that it's like at this point even if the irishman didn't do well which it's you know up in the air but like 
even if that sure. really bombed and also silence bombed, like he still would have been able to make this movie because he's Martin yeah. Scorsese. It's the same thing of like why Spielberg made, you know, West Side Story and then like, you know, can make like any anything at this point still today because right. he's Steven Spielberg or even like most most of these legacy directors. So even like comparing it to this year of like Oppenheimer with Nolan that he mm-hmm. read this read this story about Oppenheimer and he's like you know what I want to tell this story it's like he this dude could make any science fiction movie and people will eat it up but the right. fact that he told like this true story and even like Dunkirk it's like it's great that these filmmakers have such a like residency or at least like with Scorsese going like understanding like not just the weight but understanding like this story needs to be told and because I have the blank check I like I gotta do it like yeah because like like we're saying like if it doesn't get told then it's just gonna get buried and no one's gonna give an osage director this kind of money because that's not how hollywood works because like you're saying with the sundance stuff like it just doesn't work who's right even if they did it's the it's gonna get a much smaller viewership than a scorsese it's gonna be running the circuits waiting for somebody to pick it up Mm -hmm. to distribute exactly it's not gonna get to just say yeah it's going it's going straight to theaters the second it's done yeah like which like gives me gives it makes me have a whole lot of respect for martin scorsese a whole lot uh yeah it's it means a lot end of his career pretty much yeah it means a lot that um, he was willing to refocus the entire film based on feedback from the tribe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and like, like you were saying too, of like you trying to, you know, get get your name. Like, and they're like, "Hey, man, we're busy with this movie." <laughs> like, exactly. like, that's yeah. like, like the like you wouldn't think the little details would matter, but they matter. And like that's, oh, yeah. I think, I think like those go the longest way. Where it's like he could have just like. Filmed it in LA and like you know, or Atlanta and just like right. you know, like on a back lot and just homed it in and just been like you know what I'm gonna hire my my friends and we're just gonna make a little movie. But the fact that he right. did the research, he did like made sure that everything was right, had all these consultants, made sure that you know these people were telling him the right things to do at that point. You know, nothing was out of line. Like there there could have been more things that he could have done, but you know, like it's like the fact that like these things were already emotion is so like respectful. It's like, that's yeah. what we're saying. It's like, it's just like he did the damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think my biggest takeaway for this movie is that I am hoping to see, I am hoping to see this movie become a, a like a marker of a shift in, you know, what kind mm-hmm. of stories we want to tell and who we want to, to tell yeah. them and not just a like flash in a pan hey remember when martin scorsese told that one indigenous story like right. wasn't that crazy <laughs> because it is you know it's something that this movie manages to be a jumping off point for a lot of different um a lot of different conversations native american history that mm-hmm. still has contemporary yeah. effects like it has it has ties to um, missing and murdered indigenous women obviously it has ties mm-hmm. to the Dawes Act it has ties to the land grab it has ties to the boarding mm-hmm. schools like it's all like all of these are elements of this story that 
it, even in the movie, like they they allude to it, even if they don't directly spell it out. But if somebody watches this and is inspired to learn more, like they are going to run into these other things very quickly. Yeah. Just yeah, by yeah, and that's something exploring. I that's something I said in my review is like, you know, as more native people have a voice in this entertainment space. Uh, more stories like this will come to light, and like there, are, there's there are people that are going to want to plug their ears or you know bury their heads in the sand, like like la la la, like pretend like nothing happened, but like that doesn't change that it did, right? Yeah. Like yeah. I firmly believe that you cannot understand the formation of this country or Canada yeah. as we know it today without you know learning about, understanding, reckoning with the sins that it was formed through. Or yeah. any other piece of land that was colonized. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's yeah, there's, very uh, there are some really <laughs> There's some really uh, interesting um, Australian indigenous-focused yeah. <laughs> yeah. horror movies Absolutely. that I've seen that deal with yeah. the same kind of thing. Um, so there's like, yeah, like a... Kadaika, Kadaicha, uh, is about stolen land. Uh, the dreaming is about you know the putting indigenous people in the past in a museum. Uh, there's a conversation in this graveyard where an activist is talking to an archaeologist, and he and the archaeologist is like, "These are relics. These are things that should be in a museum." And the indigenous person is like. Like, no, like, this is, like, our culture. Like, how would you feel if I went and, you know, messed with your mother's bones? And that stuck with me since I saw that. Like, these, there are so many shared uh, struggles with indigenous people, whether it be the U.S., Canada, Australia. Right now in Palestine, we're seeing that this is not something that's going to go away. Yeah. Yeah. And you just have, it's like you, there are large group of, groups of people that it's like, you're not going to understand until they try to put a pipeline under the Vatican. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Okay. That's good. I like that. Um, we do spoil things on this podcast, right? Yeah. And we yeah. definitely oh, yeah. spoiled the whole film <laughs> two weeks ago. Okay. That's we what I thought. Pod. Yeah. So. So I we just, always yeah, announce what the next sure. movie is going to be that we're going to talk about, so people have time okay. to say it. it's like if you if you're going to care about spoilers, you have the time to watch sure. it before the episode also, comes out. So. But also, Killers of the Flower Moon is deeply based in things that happened in real life a hundred years right. ago. So yeah. it's not like yeah, we're that's, spoiling yeah, a story. I, I had a <laughs> I had a tweet like a back in the summer that got a couple hundred likes. And it was like, I was, I kept talking, I kept seeing people like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to know anything. I want to go in blind. I don't want to have any spoilers. And it's like, oh bro, my. this is like historical record. Yeah. Like, what, yeah. Do, you, what do you mean? And that's what I, I think what yeah, I said was happening. like, this is, this is not, this is not a superhero movie. This is not end game mm -hmm. that we're going into. Yeah. This is real history that my tribe is still dealing with to this day. Like, this mm -hmm. is not a spoiler. It's fact. Mm -hmm. yeah it's like oh um, you know don't don't uh <laughs> the only the only reason that you feel like you can go in blind to this movie is because this history has been specifically <laughs> hidden away from you yeah like, yep exactly yeah i have a cousin 
who grew up uh, around the res. And she said that until like the last couple of years, she had never heard the story. And oh she's Osage. God. Yeah. Lord. Um, but yeah, so with the ending of the film, um, shout out Jack White. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, we we're, we're big Jack White fans. We all how think. how impressive were those singers? Like Jason Isbell, that Jason scene Isbell. that he had with Leo, toe to toe. I was yeah. so impressed with him. Literally in the same frame as Leo, and he's like killing it. Yeah, I was like Jason. Yeah, that I've was seen him live. <laughs> and it was just the what impressed me is I mean obviously Leo has so much experience with this, but like they were both. They, it seems like they both knew what the other was doing, right? Yeah. And so it's like there's so much unspoken tension in yeah. that room. Yeah, um, and then you also had Sergio Simpson and Jack White, and Jack White's at the end, and I'm just like yeah. cheering. <laughs> like, there's my guy. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so with the ending, um, like I said in my review, it's it elicited so many emotions in me like sitting there hearing this story you know told in this way which is all too often how it's told um you know with the with the non-white group that the story is about being relegated to a footnote in their own story to make sure that mm. you know the quote-unquote good guys get the glory for quote-unquote saving the day even mm. if it's not historically accurate like um the FBI story from 1959. Personally, I have not seen it, but I do know that the FBI was heavily involved in its production, and therefore, I'm I'm comfortable speculating that it told this it told this story in a very you know rah rah FBI kind of way. Um, yeah, but <laughs> but also with this ending, I think that this is Scorsese being like, hey, I'm a white dude. You all in the audience, <laughs> predominantly, are non-Osage, are white people. Um, I think it turns the camera both on himself and onto the audience. Uh, because this cast of what seems to be a radio show, um, like a, the OG true crime, true crime podcast, if you will, um, they... <laughs> are recounting the story with like all like the the sound effects and Jack White doing the weird voices. Um, they're delivering the story of depravity not only to the in-studio audience that we see, you know, in the reverse shots um, that are all white to for, from what I could see at least. Um, but I also think it turns it on to the, yeah. the audience sitting in the theater and to me, what he's saying is that he knows that both he and the viewers are and have been, always will be, complicit in these atrocities. Not just the Osage murders, which were a product of government policy, but in everything. In missing and murdered indigenous women, in the school system not covering history of Native peoples, um, in up in Canada, in the the Starlight tours, all of these things um, that the audience is complicit in, but may not know it until now. Um, so I think that he is yeah. putting it onto the audience to uh, 
reckon with and understand uh, that they have that culpability. For sure. I think that's a great takeaway. Yeah. Um, personally. Thank and you. I guess for a wider audience, uh, I think that's, if you're not taking that away. <laughs> yeah. I don't know right. if you really sat through the same three and a half hours right. that right. I did. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I yeah. took it yeah. in our review. Or you review weren't paying of, attention. Or you weren't paying <laughs> <Yeah>. attention. <laughs> right. I think I yeah, kind of nailed uh, it the last episode of just like yeah like I think I said the same thing of like yeah when you see when you see that god shot like the bird's eye view shot like it almost looks like an eye and almost just mm-hmm. like like them doing the powwow of just like it almost just looks like like the Nate like the Osage being like yeah like like look like reflect on this and the fact of like again like right. with the end credits of that song and then leading into just rain itself was mm. just so like impactful of just like like thinking like me sitting in the theater just thinking about what i just witnessed <laughs> like as right. as a whole and it was just so yeah. like insane yeah yeah for sure and i love that last shot so much because yeah i think you might have touched on it yeah. um in that episode it's like we open with that the the quote unquote death of a culture, which is to some level accurate. Like there are very few of us that are still fluent in the language. Um, We had to go to like my ancestors went to boarding schools. Like this is, it was a very real fear and it was realized. Um, But to end it on that dance to show that, you know, the, Again, this governmental policy was put in place to wipe us out, and you can't. We are a very resilient people, and our culture is going to live. We have something really cool in the credits is I'm taking language classes right now um, through our language department, and one of the language consultants, uh, OJ Littlecook, he is my language teacher. So it was really cool to see him in there and just some other names that I'm familiar with. Uh, and that was that was really cool part about that last shot as well is it was Osage that had worked on the movie, whether it be costuming, whether it be, you know, consulting in various ways, whether it it be, you know, actually in the movie. It was it's so cool to see that entire team. Maybe not the entire team, but all, a bunch of people that were involved with this film being able to show that we are still here. Yeah. Very good representation. Yeah. It's a it's a great moment of vis- visibility, not just with absolutely the time period of the story, but as now contemporary, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, that and that's like that's something I want people to day shot. Yeah, and that's something I want people to take away um, is that this is a chapter of Osage history. This is yeah. not the entirety of Osage history. Like we're still here. Mm-hmm. We are. Uh, strong people we're thriving you know it's we're reclaiming our culture through our language through our dances through all this stuff um we the the effects are still with us like our head rights that our ancestors were killed for 26 percent of those head rights are currently owned by non-osage entities and non-osage people 
That's over Damn. a quarter of the money from the oil that's on our land. That's just not. It's going to these outside interests, and currently, it is at, there's no legal way for one of these entities, like the Oklahoma Historical Society, wants to give their head right back to the tribe, but they can't because there's no legal framework in which to do so. And so, the tribe right now is trying to get a bill passed that would make it possible to accept head rights as gifts, so that we can, you know, get the money back where it should be. Wow. Um, yeah, so the the effects of it are still with us in that aspect, in the aspect of a lot of people around that time moved. Um, some have moved back, some haven't. Um, but like, we don't live as victims. We're, like I said, we're a thriving nation. Um, we have self-governance as all tribes do, but we have a, in, I believe 2009, um, we got a new constitution that changed our system of government um, under our former chief, Jim Gray. Might be 2006. Um, but like our, our government is working for us in a, in a really good way. And so we're not relegated to this reign of terror. We are mm-hmm. alive. We're here. We're present. We're not going anywhere. Um, and also, like Freddie said, we're not the only ones with a story like this. Yeah. Um, this one is very specific to the Osage. And with that, it's important to remember that this is not, you know, blanket indigenous representation. This yep. is very specifically Osage representation. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, Osage voices, whether it be mine or so many other people that have giving that are giving interviews, doing appearances, Osage voices are what should be centered on our story. Um, other Native people, rightfully, can say theirs, and it's awesome that you know there's a space for other Indigenous people to share their opinions. But it's important to remember that this is very specifically Osage. Absolutely. Yep. Thank you so much for your perspective and your insight into the story that you know, the three of us tried our best to kind of learn about and understand. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, it's very cool to hear from, yeah. from you specifically. And thank you. Um, yeah. And, and we just, and thank like you Freddie for was saying, I really <laughs> hope that this, I, yeah, I really hope that this can lead to other tribes having their stories told because they deserve yeah. to be told just like ours deserves to be told on a big scale. On a yes. Martin Scorsese scale. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then we need to get some indigenous directors on a Martin Scorsese scale. Yes, we That's do. That's what we need. And indigenous actors, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Joel, you're you're not just here for a, a short time. You're here for a good time. So, you're going yeah. to stick around and continue with us for the rest of the episode um, as we talk about what we've been watching recently and get into our Vietnam November or Vietnam November. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. No, we're going to be serious about it. Vietnam November pick (laughs) a full metal jacket. We are going to get to that soon. So, um, Joel, since you are our honored guest, um, what have you been watching lately? And, um, yeah. What would you like to talk about? 
Yeah. Um, oh, we're and and so also, like, yeah, the, we are gonna try our best to get through this quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was a long section. Well, I'll uh, just kind of like <laughs> list everything I've watched okay, and then like though. hit a couple bullet points if I want. Um, yeah. So in the last week, I watched um, Argento's uh, feature debut, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Um, it is a Jalo film uh, that is inspired by uh, Mario Bava, who is kind of like the godfather of the Jalo genre. Uh, Jalo, for anybody that doesn't know, is Italian horror um, with stylized violence and usually uh, elements of sexuality. Um, so it, there's. Baba's second movie, um, Blood and Black Lace, is one of the most like visually unique things I've ever seen. But anyway, so yeah, this was <laughs> Dario's first directorial or uh, feature-length uh, film where he you know stepped into the Jalo genre that he would that he is still known for now. Um, then I watched Priscilla, which I think we're going to talk about a little bit later. Yeah. Um, rewatched Barbie. I think I've seen that like five times now. Yes. <laughs> um, we love Barbie. <laughs> yes. And then I I watched uh, Jess Franco's Vampiros Lesbos, which is a really interesting flip on uh, the Dracula story. Um, it's like pretty much all women. Um, Hell yeah. And. Uh, the instead of like a drab castle, dreary, you know, lightning, thunderstorms, all that, it's a modern apartment on a seaside bathed in sunlight. So it's a really interesting uh, subversion of that. And then uh, Sea Bear, I know you wanted me to talk about Batman Mask of the Phantasm. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Other than Spider Man, so, yeah, been... I'm a big Batman fan. I'm like Freddie knows. Yeah, so I'm I've... huge into Batman. Mm hmm. I've always really liked Batman, I guess, like, as a concept. Um, but I've never, like, done a really deep dive. And so, like, last year I got the long Halloween comic and I watched those two oh, movies. so good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> long seen... Halloween is just, like, for the audience, it is the Rosetta Stone of, like, what makes a lot of good Batman movies. Like Batman It is movies. phenomenal. Like, it, like yeah. it is, it is literally... the Dark Knight. <laughs> Yeah, so I that's the one and only comic book I have ever owned. Ever. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> so it's like it's, it's yeah, yeah, it's literally it's like a holy grail of comics. So I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I yeah, I've I've I have seen the Dark Knight trilogy obviously, but like I wanted to dive in more. Um okay. so yeah, this uh this came out on four K and I think also Blu ray, probably D V D too couple weeks ago so i saw it, it in the source so i just yeah, grabbed it maybe the 4k um, but yeah yeah okay yeah yeah yeah. Uh, i mean it looks fantastic on 4k it looks so good um but i really enjoyed it i actually found out like halfway through that i'd seen 10 minutes of this when i was like 13 years old um <laughs> you know uh when when phantasm like pushes the the head the the big monument into the oh, yeah. dark grave yeah i had seen that i had no idea what it was from and i was watching and i was like wait a minute this looks really familiar memory unlocked. um <laughs> right uh, but i really like the uh, dynamic of these big bads in gotham having to deal with the possibility that batman is like killing now right because yeah. 
most of what I've seen is like, you know, Joker. It's like, you know, uh, you're not going to kill me. You're just going to put me back in Arkham. I'm going to break out. But like, if he's <laughs> killing, then like, he's going to be at, like, you see, it's mostly crime bosses, um, which I think is also really interesting. Um, but like seeing them like reckon with that and like what it could mean was really interesting. It's a dynamic that I want to see more. I haven't seen. Um, so, uh, hi, if you <laughs> like Batman, go on my review on Letterboxd and recommend me some Batman stuff. Um, oh, I can, I can but, give you so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also really liked, uh, the way that it focused on how trauma manifests. Um, oh, yeah. Because between, I mean, we have our two central characters. We have Batman and we have Andrea, right? Yes. Um, they're, they have a very similar trauma, but it manifests in very different ways. Like, and it just absolutely destroys them and the relationship that they had. And I thought, I thought that was incredible to watch as it went on. Yeah, it's always yeah, that those, with- those are my... It's always that thing with Batman of just, like, that duality of, like, is he more Bruce Wayne or is he more Batman? Exactly. And, yeah, and, and, and that was that something I really that, thought like, was interesting. The duality yeah. of man. Right. The duality That's of something man. I really thought was interesting about uh, the Batman from a couple years ago is, like, yeah. we have, like, this, you know, self-hating, self-serving, like, I'm just Batman. I am not Bruce Wayne, which I thought was a really interesting take. Yeah, because like with the bat, because like Batman as a whole, like he's my favorite superhero, and I could talk about Batman for days. But like, <laughs> yeah, like with Robert Pattinson's, it's always it's the the thing I'm most excited about with the Batman two is how they're going to tackle the Bruce Wayne issue. Yeah, of, same. Of, well, yeah. how that's going to work because the thing that works with the Nolan trilogies is how they adapt the comics of where Bruce Wayne, where Batman gets all of his feedback as Batman is the Bruce Wayne, uh, uh, like, mask that he wears. Right. When he goes to those parties and he talks about, like, you know, like, what do people think about this Batman guy? <laughs> and everyone's like, I don't know. He kind of seems a little goofy or silly. And he's like, okay. Right. And, like, he, you can kind of see, like, he kind of changes or, like, adapts. He, he, he always loves the public's, like, input. And especially, like, with, like, other yeah. comics, like The Dark Knight Returns, like, having monologues with, like, news reports and stuff. Like, it, it goes more in depth with that. And, yeah, like, with Mask of the Phantasm, yeah. it's just so good at, like, using that trauma of like of like what really what really makes batman tick and and things and especially like for a movie that is just based off of the animated series of of that right and it's yeah and and it just works so well like yeah like you said of like these villains like actually real like like somewhat realizing or thinking like oh shit like maybe what if what if batman does snap like he could kill us right (laughs) like yeah like Like, very easily bad (laughs) Right. Yeah. And then uh, another thing, like with his character, I thought was really interesting is like he is always so meticulous about mm-hmm. people not knowing. But like with Andrea, full spoilers right now, by the way, with Andrea, <laughs> he like he he lets enough slip to where she immediately knows. Yeah. And that that was that was really interesting because I haven't seen that before. Again, my Batman media consumption is very minimal at this point. It's um, yeah. It's an interesting trope of like, it it just always leads back to the man behind the like who's really behind the mask of like Batman right. being Batman or Batman being Bruce Wayne, and it's the thing that like most comics or stories try to get 
nail on the head of with Alfred. Yeah. Of like Alfred doesn't want Batman to be Batman. He wants him to be Bruce because he raised Bruce. But with right. that, like Alfred slowly tries to like give Bruce like girlfriends and stuff. And so like, right. throughout the comics, it's always like it's always Selena Kyle who's Catwoman or like other mm-hmm. other yeah other people like that. It's like it's always rare, and when it does happen, you kind of get the sense of like it's mainly used as a tool of like Batman can never Batman can never have a girlfriend because he's always going to be Batman, right? (laughs) Yeah, and it's really interesting. This will never work out, (laughs) right? And it's really interesting to bring such a personal, intimate relationship from the pre dark like pre Batman era, like from Bruce Wayne before Batman into bruce wayne as batman and seeing how that shift affects the relationship and whether or not it can work yeah yeah mask mask of the phantasm is like one of so good the best batman stories out there. there there's so many like other well, great comics and things and yeah like it's it's a huge recommendation if anyone is interested yeah. in superheroes and batman in general it is like arguably like it when people talk about like the best batman film most people like go like well there is like phantasm <laughs> like that right, always right, right. ends up coming into conversation because people just yeah. like somewhat push it aside because they just know that kevin conroy is the goat when it comes to so batman good. so good. <laughs> yeah and that's one of the reasons i like made sure to check out mask of the phantasm it's like anytime i'm like hey what batman should i watch it's like live action live action live action phantasm and it's like yeah. that's the like the if if an animated Batman movie gets mentioned, it's always Phantasm. So like, okay, I gotta see this. Well, thank you, Joel, for getting Connor on a Batman tangent. Um, <laughs> oh, no, yeah. it was actually a great conversation. But um, <laughs> um, so. Connor, I think, Seabear, you were the only one that did not watch Priscilla. Freddie and I watched Priscilla. I um, so we'll move on to Freddie and we'll have kind of like a quasi roundtable Priscilla conversation um, about our thoughts without spoiling the movie uh, because it's not our main topic of the episode. It's a. Okay. It's yeah. A, it's not, you know, it's just what we've recently watched. So, Freddie, what are your thoughts? on watching yeah. priscilla do you want me to talk about my other movies that i got first or just no just talk about priscilla now and then you can talk about your other movies okay um i uh i i really enjoy priscilla um i think that it is really interesting the way that we do get like this flip side portrayal of like the elvis story and yeah. i and i do think mm-hmm. that it's really it, it kind of works perfectly that this is coming uh, not right off the heels of the Pretty other Elvis right movie, but close enough where it's like, this is obviously what yeah. people are thinking when they go to watch this movie. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, At least film people are. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a lot of yeah. stuff that I really liked. I, I, um, it's a very isolating movie On purpose. and like obvious <laughs> yeah like it's like she like priscilla lives this very isolated life because she of is. her ties to this toxic relationship she, that she is has made with to be a celebrity. doll in a dollhouse and that's a very isolating yeah. existence yeah. and the movie feels like that yeah. when you're watching it and i think that's 
what I enjoyed the most about this because it is such a opposite tone and opposite vibe of Baz Luhrmann's Elvis that yeah. came out last year because it's so loud and boisterous and such a gaudy film. Whereas Sofia Coppola takes this like quiet, introspective look into not Elvis, but somebody who was very much connected mm. to Elvis. And um, it's very quiet and it's very calm and it's very like the style is there but the style is also a little muted it's a very muted performance a very mm -hmm. muted movie and mm -hmm. um i just think that speaks to the craft of the film and it's very intentional everything is intentional the costumes Absolutely. the cinematography the lighting the um the like the script like the the almost absence of dialogue sometimes yeah um and those are my favorite scenes. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. I just think that it is just really made to give the audience this kind of like empathy for Priscilla and and how she must be feeling just being an accessory to another person. That's yeah. her role in life. Um, what were you thinking yeah. about it, Joel? Um, I think that to me... It's a story of agency. Um, like we see hers yeah. get slowly stripped away um, until we don't, um, which I'm not going to spoil. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I think it's... She, <laughs> and so much has been said about the casting of Jacob Elordi and how tall he is, but we can really see how yeah. domineering of a presence of a life in general that he has and how that affects her um so i think that's what that's what i came away with is we see somebody yeah. give away their agency without really even meaning to or without even knowing i think that that was happening because she was 14 years old yeah because um, she was a child <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah and really. so yeah and yeah, literally. Um, yeah, so I think that, that's what I came away with is that it's it's a story of somebody who was put into a situation far too young without knowing what she needed to know to properly navigate it and to process it even mm -hmm. um, and what that meant for her. And again, no yeah. spoilers, uh, but the ending and the song that they used, perfect. Oh, my God. <laughs> perfect. No, I literally, 100%. we're not going to spoil the needle drop at the end of this movie. But I want to talk about it, it so bad. Playing, just, you have no idea. I, I just I just started bawling my eyes out. I was like, they are not doing this to me right now. Oh, um, yeah, and it and it no, works. Go see it, and you'll it works know. so you'll well. And you'll know the needle job. Yeah. You'll know. <laughs> yes, you'll know. Yeah, it's perfect. It's literally perfect. I listened to a um, an interview from Sofia Coppola, the director of Priscilla, and she was talking about how the the casting of Jacob Elordi and Kaylee Spaney was not intentional because Jacob Elordi is I think six five, and Kaylee Spaney is yeah. literally five feet tall, mm -hmm. and 
you know, that wasn't her intention, but the way that it comes across, she was very like pleased yeah. with yeah. the the unintentional sort of interpretation of him literally yeah. towering over her. And there were there were scenes where, you know, to make it more realistic, like she's standing on boxes and he's kneeling and things like that. Right. But like in other shots, like it's very clear that he is a ginormous figure in her life. Yeah. And um yeah yeah <laughs> you know i will say just think I, it's really well done i will say this the scene the scene that made that stick out the most for me and this is like at the this is like at the beginning of the movie but so this is not really a minor this isn't it's when she first gets to elvis's house not this isn't a spoiler obviously she goes to elvis's house yes <laughs> Well, she goes to Graceland? No, but... Wait, the, she the, marries Elvis? What? She, uh... Well, she goes to Neverland. she Lange. first gets there, and it's this shot where... So, she, it's, the wide, it's the super wide shot, and she gets out of the car, and every other adult that comes up to her is significantly taller than her. Like, she gets out of the car first, and you're like, yeah. oh, okay. And then people walk up to her, and you're like, oh, this is a child. This Little is girl. a child. Right. Yeah like and so much credit to kaylee spaney like she sold she she played a child a a young adult and an adult so well flawlessly yeah yeah i think she's great in this movie honestly um yeah priscilla was great i think we're all very pleased with how that turned out there's another film that two people watched that I think Freddie and Seabear can both talk about hearts and minds. Yeah. Because dude. we're in the middle of Vietnam, November. And yeah. yeah so, Freddie, that was on your watch list for a long time. Connor also watched it. So, again, try to get through it quickly. Yeah. But- honestly, I think it might be worth... I think it might be worth saving the hearts and minds discussion until we at, like after we we can go through the rest of our watch list oh, and you're then right. because it is it is a it is like yeah. the end all be all documentary for the Vietnam War. Wait, can I can I make a yeah. suggestion? Mm-hmm. Can I make a suggestion that we table the hearts and minds conversation until after I watch it? Okay. Do you want you, you want do that too? So you, do you want to watch it before the next I think I because think it, I'm I definitely say, gonna watch it not before the next one, but maybe when we do our Vietnam recap, we can talk about hearts and minds. Okay. 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 It's, I mean, we can fine. do that because there's a lot for. Do yeah. You, do you think that? Do you? I mean, we're doing this like live on air. <laughs> live. <laughs> like we're recording, but well, like, yeah. yeah. Sometimes we have to process be, things. What I'll Emma say is yeah. making a commitment to watch this movie. I guys. am making a commitment to watch so it. Ne- it's it's here. It's recorded. It's been released. It'd be better. I think it would be better to do it. So now you have to watch it. I think it'd be better to do it like later for you yeah? Emma so that you at least could talk about it because like what like I will like tease okay. is that like it's like I obviously like you saw my letterbox review which is just devastating and just brutal but the thing is is like with the the documentary itself because yeah. it's made we'll in 1975 like the amount of access these people got for interviews is crazy and that's what's so like fascinating okay. to me about let's, the documentary let's table it yes. yeah let's table so, it and let's that's wait. all that's and all we'll have that conversation okay so what have you been right. watching, Emma? So 
No, it's your turn, Seabear. No, it's your she, turn she because said, mine no, is going to lead. No, you first. No, because mine is going to lead into our movie. So. Okay. Well, okay. Um, <laughs> other than Priscilla, I watched two other 2023 releases. Fingernails on Apple TV Plus that released on the 3rd and Quiz Lady on Hulu that also released on the 3rd. And so um, they're fine. Fingernails is a kind of like a sci-fi um <sighs> have you ever seen the lobster has anybody ever seen the lobster oh yes Your oh me and freddie have definitely seen colin the lobster Farrell, my guy colin we saw it together <laughs> oh man okay so it's kind of like that it's like a deep dive into like society's uh obsession with romance not just romance but like coupling like yeah. having to have the person in your life yeah and and it also has like a sci-fi aspect um so like the i'll just give a brief premise essentially what you do the reason why it's called fingernails is because they take your they rip your fingernail off and they test your fingernail with your partner's fingernail and the literal test tells you if you are in love and it's super fucked up honestly uh because the test will tell you zero percent which means neither one of you are in love with each other and the test will tell you a hundred percent which means you're both in love with each other and it will also tell you 50 percent, which means one of you is in love and the other one is not and that is just like a oh, really mind-boggling kind of <laughs> thing to to think about so that's that's kind of that film um and then i watched quiz lady which is just this goofy silly comedy um with sandra O oh and aquafina as sisters who go on a quiz show to get money to bail their mom out from the mob yeah so anyway it's it's goofy if you're into comedy that's a fun one it's quick so that's mine i just uh don't have a lot to say about those because i wanted to talk more about priscilla (laughs) yeah anyway now it's your turn connor yeah because yeah because uh because we're doing vietnam month i've been watching or at least i'm planning on watching a bunch of vietnam movies you've been in a vietnam you've been in a vietnam hole (laughs) yes because of that a lot of these movies are very depressing and very hard to watch. So I'll get through the the stuff that I had to watch because <laughs> I I just needed to feel life again. Um, to just quickly go through that, it was uh, Tasha had <laughs> Tasha had friends over uh, so that she can try to watch Gremlins um, because she she had a relationship where her ex only liked Gremlins and she just has a bad relationships with that movie. So we tried to get her and her friends to watch it. She liked it. Then after that, we watched Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, just a banger of a movie. Like they don't make movies like that anymore. And then uh, recently I showed Tasha, I want to hold your hand because I speak the gospel of, I want to hold your hand. Uh, <laughs> and like, it's the thing that gives me joy really in life. So good. It's so good. It will most like like spoiler alert. It is most likely going to be part of a month. I just need to figure it out. Um, But otherwise, for the web heads out there, I am now playing Spider-Man 2. I am 30 percent. I am 30 percent into the game. It is so good. The 
like after beating Miles Morales, Miles Morales is such a great video game when like talking about how he is like the only Spider-Man. It's like he is now New York Spider-Man and then going into Spider-Man 2, like the way they balance Peter and Miles' story because now you can play as both Spider-Mans in the game. It's really great. I'm past the Coney Island mission for the people that are playing it. That's all I will say. But uh, yeah, I'm excited to keep playing more. But other than that, the big movie I want to talk about is Platoon. I watched Platoon for the first time, um, and it is utterly fantastic. No wonder why this won Best Picture. (laughs) Um, It is an Oliver Stone movie. It is basically Charlie Sheen joins the military, um, part of Vietnam, and it is a movie that really shows what Vietnam was all about, in my opinion. And when I watched it, I got the Blu-ray from the library. So I also watched uh, special features on there called uh, One War, uh, Many Stories, which interviewed a bunch of Vietnam vets in 2005 for the Blu-ray and just to talk about Vietnam. And watching that, watching Platoon, watching that special feature, and then also watching Hearts of Minds, it just really, because I watched all those like back to back to back. It just really brought a new perspective of Vietnam for me in a way, because specifically, like I, I got recommended from my friend in the military, Jason, uh, to watch Platoon because he said out of all the Vietnam movies I should watch, it should be Platoon because it's the one that like really encapsulates like what what Vietnam was like. And he really talked about mainly like the war crimes that happened and like all the stuff where like when people like. Like, when people were really in the shit of it, it just, like, <laughs> no one could really understand or comprehend, like, what they were doing in the war. Yeah. And especially, like, when, like, you hear these veterans talk about it. Because, like, there's this one point where these veterans, like, you can tell that they don't want to talk shit about the military. Because they really, like, do feel honorable about what they've done. But at the same time, you can tell that they're kind of, like... What, what was this for because always the conversation is like their their grandfathers fought in world war one and then their fathers fought in world war two so the reason why they fought in vietnam was because they thought this was going to be the next like thing that when you come home you're honorable and the fact that a lot of veterans got home and it was like no like fuck you like baby killers like like no you guys suck like like this this war sucks like you guys suck it just kind of yeah. fucked with these veterans and like <laughs> with with some of with one of them like this guy served in 63 to 66 and he was like when i served in vietnam like it was like a real war like we had a real enemy and it was like a real war and like all this stuff and he talked about how like they didn't do dope like they didn't they didn't smoke the marijuana and stuff like that and then another guy rose his hand and he's like well i served in 66 and i did heroin dope and all the drugs sir and like i still like made it out okay (laughs) because i had to do that because like the shit that he saw was insane and it's just like and it's just like like and and he wasn't like trying to talk shit about the other veteran because like with these guys like they're they're like they're respectful because it's this thing of like at the end of the doc at the end of that documentary they talk about how like they needed that they needed to like express these thoughts these things that are just in their brain 
that they that they never like can really like express to another human being who hasn't been through it. And with Platoon itself, the fact that Oliver Stone, the director, fought in Vietnam, you could just kind of tell that like the stories and things that he was telling are are from like the heart, like like are like are true to like what he's saying and and or from what like friends or other people like told him and stuff. And it's just it it's honestly just an amazing movie. And it's just like it it's another like tough to watch movie. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Which yeah. leads us to Well, it leads um, me to talking about the other movie that I watched. Another tough we to watch me. movie. Uh which is the main topic of our discussion. Hang on today. a second. Hang on a second. We yeah. skip my we skip my movies. <laughs> What? We skipped my movies. Oh we debated over watching Hearts and Minds. <laughs> We're talking yeah, about Yeah, he it. just talked about uh, we just talked about Priscilla and went straight to Sea Bear. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I Well that's uh, honestly that was because Sea Bear said, Emma, what's next? And I was like, No, you're next. We got confused. Um <laughs> I'll be quick so we can get we can get into full metal jacket. Yeah, let's do it. But the only other movie that I watched other than um Hearts and Minds and Priscilla was uh, Satoshi Kon's Paprika, which was a rewatch for me. And that's just a kick-ass movie. <laughs> um, Lovely. It's really... Visually, it's incredible. I mean, it... I won't get, I won't get too much on it, but if you're a fan of anime, if you like animated movies, if you like incredible creative editing... And directing, just just go watch Paprika. It is, it is a mind bending movie, and all the elements of it perfectly feed into that. Um, but on a side note, I don't know if any of y'all have gotten have stopped by Barnes and Noble yet for the fifty percent off Criterion sale, but I did. And oh, you went to Barnes and Noble in person, yeah, and picked up because I got a gift card for my yeah. Birthday that's the only way to do it, specifically to get Criterion movies. Hell yeah! So I went to Barnes and Noble with my little gift card, and I had enough money to buy one movie. Woohoo! So I bought um, Chantal Ackerman's Jean Dielman. Oh boy! And this is a it's, that's a this is a movie that I've been meaning to watch for the last 10 years i'm gonna have to borrow that yeah or borrow that disc although it is on hbo yeah so it's it is i'm very excited to watch it i've been it's i'm ready for it all right i'm ready for it so if you haven't if y'all haven't gotten any movies yet maybe freddie you know, and i need to have some. a movie night yeah I'm down. Right. I'm down to and watch just for the people that don't know, that hours. was. <laughs> oh, I'm <God>. so down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for anybody that doesn't know, uh, Jean Dielman is the number one film of all time, according to the, I think, last year's On Sight and Sound poll. Sight and Sound. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yes, I do know. <laughs> have, have either, I don't, have either of you seen it? Mm-hmm. No, not yet. We also haven't been to the All right. Barnes and Noble yet. Yeah, but that might be one of my pickups this month. The only the only last Criterion yeah, pickup pick I got was at a disc up. replay for uh, 
the Beastie Boys anthology. I found a DVD set of that. Okay. So I'm, I'm excited to watch cool, that. Cool. Cool. So, yeah, so beans. other. So, anyway. Other than that, let's get into, I guess, the topic of the show. Tots, tots, tots. Let's get into. Finally. Yeah. Full tots. Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> I was like straight up Leonardo DiCaprio in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood pointing at the screen. I was like, he said it. <laughs> he said it. He said the line. He said the title. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm right, doing that so at every reference. For, <laughs> <laughs> this is Freddie's pick for Vietnam November. Vietnam November. <laughs> um... So get us started, Freddie. Like, what's what's this movie about, and what are your main points that you want to talk about? Okay, so um, Full Metal Jacket is Stanley Kubrick. It is one of the. Oh yeah, it it's is a Kubrick movie, by the way. Yeah, it's it's one of the most talked about Stanley Kubrick movies. Um. Let me get my let me get my deets here. Do we all have the do we all have the same top Kubrick film? Like what's our favorite Kubrick movie? Well, I think we all have the same one. Well, I don't know about you, Joel. But Yeah, well, well, well Freddie's kind of thinking about. Yeah, what what what's your yeah, what movie are you thinking about, Emma? <clears throat> I mean, it's It's, it's like do the we all have answer it? To, yeah. Do we all have? Yeah, that's a real it's question. It's the obvious it, answer. It's two thousand one. It's two thousand one. <laughs> that's an easy answer. But you know, like you could have a different one, and that would be fine. Is is this a safe space? Uh, yeah, you. But yeah, it's a safe I, space. I have not. We're not going yeah, like, to not gonna nail you to the coffin. <laughs> okay, hey Joel, you're I, fine. I, I just saw two thousand one so, for the know, first time this year. Here's what I will say. Um, but yeah, like Connor, you're also kind of more into the horror thing. So yeah. Nick Shining, Shining does kind of yeah. fit your favorite for sure. I've I've been a I've been a big I've been a big fan of 2001 for like a very long time. So Joel, for context, yeah. you haven't seen 2001. So then, what is your favorite Kubrick as of right now? Um, The Shining is one of the first horror movies I ever remember seeing. Um. So that's probably going to be it until nice. I'm proven okay. otherwise. Yeah, I watched 2001. It's like, I love it. Because I okay, watched cool. 2001. Oh, yeah, no, nice even split right down the even, middle. Yeah. Even thing here. Because I will, I will say, yeah, 2001 is the correct answer, but it's just like, I, I just like right. The Shining, but it's like after <laughs> watching 2001 this year, I'm like, maybe after a rewatch, I'm like, all right, maybe, maybe it might be the best. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it's been on my watch list forever, but I, I just <laughs> well, never there's a difference between like, okay. there's a difference between best and favorite, so it's right. okay. No, it's I know okay if it's not your favorite. You got your opinion, Connor. Stick to your right. guns. <laughs> um, no, I, right. I know I got to stick to my guns, but I'm like, want, I'm like, I, because uh, I also like sci-fi. Because I'm like, it might, it might be my my favorite. Like in the yeah. next coming years, after more rewatches, sure. yeah. that's that's what I'm mainly getting at. <laughs> just just to drop a just to drop a quick 
double feature recommendation in the middle of this triple feature episode. Um, if you're watching 2001 for the first time and you want a movie that would manage that would complement it perfectly, uh, I would highly recommend also watching Stalker by Andre Tarkovsky because those two movies are managed to be flip sides of the same coin and it's very <laughs> fascinating. Cool. Okay. So, anyway, back to Full Metal Jacket. So, Full Metal Jacket. It is Stanley Kubrick directed, 1987, um, and it's essentially we follow um, we follow a marine, Private Joker, as he in the first half of the movie goes through fucking commie. <laughs> yeah, he goes through basic training, uh, boot camp, and then in the second half of the movie he goes to Vietnam. Um, yeah, so talk about that two-part structure. Yeah. So the thing that the main takeaway for me with the um, sort of two two distinct parts of the movie is you get this very fascinating character arc of Joker where, you know, he's in boot camp and, like, the first thing they do is they, you know, break you down to like you know you're just you are completely worthless and only through completing this boot camp will you become worthy of anything and so it's Maybe like even that they yeah. don't even give them that <laughs> well so it's like you know you watch as it's like okay you've been broken down mm-hmm. and now we with the with the with the might of the u.s military will make you into something mm-hmm. And so you watch right. sort of like him become, you know, he becomes squad leader and he is, you know, growing through boot camp. And then he gets to Vietnam. And for him, like as an individual, this is like he is he is hitting I, what I guess he would probably consider his peak. Um and then as he yeah. is exposed to more of the reality of Vietnam, you watch his personality and just like his, it, it, how he even understands his own existence, like completely shatter. Mm-hmm. Um, all culminating in like the famous final scene of the movie, which I'm sure we will, we're going to, we'll get into we're gonna more get of to later. It, but, but I do think Joker is a fascinating character to take us Mm -hmm. through both parts. Yeah. Because he is the only character that we see in both parts besides Cowboy. Yeah. Um, And he is this blank slate that we see just completely broken down and then sort of molded into a certain kind of person which we'll get to at the end of the film um so yeah um what did y'all think about the two structure thing because i've heard a lot of kind of uh, like not pushback but like criticism of the two-part thing um maybe one part was much better than the other what are y'all's thoughts about that I think it's two sides of the same coin. Um in the in the in the first part we watch boot camp 
uh, drill sergeant um, who was absolutely breaking out the Rolodex of slurs. There, I, there were some I hadn't heard before. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, but uh, so you, <laughs> you, yeah, so you see like the military and boot camp break them down, um, and then you know rebuild them up again as a different person. So he loses that an aspect of his hum- humanity there. And then in the second half in Vietnam, as he gets exposed to war, as he, you know, has to start othering the Vietnamese population as, as he has to, you know, reckon with what he's doing. Um, he gets, his humanity gets stripped away in that way. So I think it's, I think both, uh, both halves of the movie, um, show a different aspect of what the military can do to somebody. I've not served, so that is, it's, that's just my analysis of what's on the screen. Um, but yeah, two different ways of doing the same thing. So I thought it was really interesting in that way. I didn't think that one was, I didn't think like the second half, for example, was like demonstrably worse than the first. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I didn't either. I, I, yeah. I definitely, I definitely think that the first part of the film, which was just the boot camp, I, I didn't make this film, so I, I don't know what went into it, but I thought that it was a great film on its own, and you know, I don't know, mm-hmm. it, it was an. I think the first part is an hour, and the second part is an hour. But I don't know how you could have extended that story more to be, you know, like a typical feature length right. um, mm-hmm. film, because I think the pacing and, you know, everything that's said and everything that happens in part one is literally perfect. And yeah, mm-hmm. it could be a standalone film, but part two expounds on what happens in part one, in a sense. And uh, it's a different setting. It's a different, it completely. I mean, lives are at stake, so that's that's different. Although that's right. not to say that lives weren't lost in part one, which yeah. I think is just. I mean, what an ending! I just, I had never seen this movie before today. Uh, before watching it this last week, and I just had heard, you know, of these things. I've seen these things, you know, memed online. I've seen, I've heard these lines, but seeing the story of the first part from beginning to end, I was just blown away by it. And I wasn't as blown away by part two, but I I mean, I think you're right, Joel. I think you have to have both uh, because they are essentially telling the same story of men who are losing their humanity in different ways. Right. So, yeah, I think that's kind of like my takeaway of this like two-part thing is like I do think one is better, but I think they're both very good. Yeah. Was there I something think, you wanted to say about it, Connor? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest takeaway I took from the two parts is that like it isn't like like the thing that they try to instill in the Marines in this movie, it's not saying Marines as a whole or, you know, outside of the movie, but the the thing that they say in the movie is that they're trying to make them killers. And with it, yeah. with, with private Joker, you, to me, 
I don't see a killer. To me, it seems mm-hmm. like Joker for at least boot camp is trying to get through boot camp because it reveals the last stinger with him with his character is that he once when they graduate as a Marine, he goes to Stars and Stripes, which is the journalism yeah. outpost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even the drill sergeant's like, the fuck are you doing there? Like, are you serious? Like, you're just going to be a reporter? You're a killer. <laughs> yeah. And and it's it's yeah. it's for the sergeant, it's wasted potential. And with part two, it's the more de- devolve into hell of Vietnam because Joker doesn't really see action because he is just reporting it and stuff. And even the stuff that he wants to report isn't really like that important and stuff like like everything's important. But do you know what I mean? Like he's not going into the thick of the jungles or like yeah. what most of these but people he's making are propaganda. And by the right. time. Yeah. Yeah. And by the time he does and once when he actually sees what's happening and what's going on that's what really like sparks my interest with part the part two aspect of it of the fact that like he's like like it's kubrick in a way trying to tell the audience like this is what vietnam was all about (laughs) like like this is this is what he wanted to tell and with joker it was just interesting of like this this guy especially like him like meeting these character this cast of characters like yeah meeting with cowboy again but then his other his uh battalion his platoon and like he got this one guy that just wants to you know shoot anything it's just like fuck this and especially like when they're in that firefight like with the sniper and like you have these these men wounded and you got the one guy with the the machine gun he's like no like fuck this like i'm gonna go in like we gotta do this and it's all this like thing of like it slowly revolves which like goes to like my like watching a bunch of vietnam movies it's it's a bunch of kids and like a lot of it is like none of them knew what to do like like there really is no like like there really is no like like when you watch a world war ii movie or like all these other war movies you see like the veteran soldier and like he's the captain and like he's gonna lead the way like in saving private ryan it's tom hanks and you got the young the young bucks following him and with these movies like it's scary just seeing they're all the same age <laughs> and they all are scared. Yeah, and when they and are scared, they make, they make rational decisions. They're yes. scared because they're kids, like you said, and that scene with the sniper, um, they don't know what to do. Like they're, they're, they're calling for help and they're like, Hey, yeah, we're working on it. And they're like, we're, dying out here and basically the first person in charge is who after the after the ranking officer gets killed is cowboy who is one of joker's fellow um recruit boot camp friends and they're barely men and i mean i think that kind of ties to the ending for me yeah of of I think we should just talk about it now. I mean, yeah. I think that's a huge Let's get into I think that's a huge theme of Full Metal Jacket is just and it they're just boys. They're little they they were not given a chance to yeah. become men and they went to this boot camp and they were boys when they went in and they were turned into killers and they haven't had a chance to grow up. Right. And the final scene um, is just these these killers mm-hmm. who are singing 
Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Um, and I think Shoot. that was very ominous. <laughs> yeah. To me, of these are kids. They're literal kids, and they're being yeah. sent to kill to kids. kill other kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and. And I mean, the it's reason that we so ended up in that sniper sad. scene. Yeah. And like with the. Right. Go ahead with the sniper. Yeah. The, the Yeah. The reason that we ended up in that sniper scene yeah. is yeah. because Cowboy had to assume this responsibility. Like you were like, and like you said, they were kids. So like he wasn't ready. He got them lost. Yeah. And now we're at the sniper. Mm-hmm. As opposed yeah. to somebody with, you know a lot more experience and you know familiarity with the region um would have you know kept them on track and avoided that absolutely yeah it's a very disorganized war and a very um just haphazard is a is what i think of mm-hmm. it's just yeah. Well, what? It, it's very, it's a very um, haphazard dis- and and I just think it's irresponsible to yeah. to send these. Well, they're trained in a certain way, but they're not trained in every way, and they're they're barely men, like barely. And right. honestly, that that kind of leads into like my second point that I was going to talk about with. Um, just like the characters in general, like you have Joker and you have the big sniper scene and it's, you know, the realization that it is this female child is this sniper that they've been trying to find this whole time. Mm -hmm. And And now they're struggling with, should we kill her or not? Because she's a female child. And Joker even brings that up to somebody. Was it animal mother? It's not animal mother. It's, it's just the guy person. that's on the, it's yeah. the get some guy that's yeah. on he's the like, helicopter. Yeah, and he says, shoot. what? He's shooting at nothing, at nothing from the helicopter. Right. And Joker, who's a journalist, is trying to get information out of him. And he's like, how could you kill a woman or a child? How could yeah. you do that? I will say he's not shooting at nothing. He is shooting farmers. Then they do, they yes. do have like the right, shot yeah. where oh, it's I like he is that. blatantly, he is just shooting Vietnamese farmers. Yeah. I missed yes. that completely. Yeah. Nothing, that's the, shooting at nothing as in faceless, nameless bodies, essentially. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I had a feeling, uh, because that's how the, that's how the scene was going. Yeah. Um, because even Joker even said, how could you, how can you do this? Like, yeah. you're just doing this in front of us. This is a war crime that you're committing in front of us. Yeah. How could you yeah. do this? But it's, it, it's, it's just, really it's interesting so to me because, like, he he does question it to an extent, and he does like you can see disgust on his face. But he's never like, "Hey, this is wrong. You need to stop doing right. this. Why would you do this?" He's more he, intrigued. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, it's and more then of we like, get to the sniper, and it's a it's a yeah. child and a, a girl, yeah. and he's like, "Oh, well, now I'm this person." Now yeah, I'm the person I'm going that's going to, to make this right. choice to kill this literal right child and girl. It it was interesting to me because like when he walks in the building and she's facing the window, she is like those farmers where she is she doesn't have a face; she is just right, right. a body that just took out his uh, platoon, his fellow soldiers. Um, but now, like she turned around 
he's and then she gets shot and now like this is a human yeah yeah and it is it is like he is ultimately like he has become a killer like the drill sergeant has wanted him to become like at the very beginning of the movie correct me if i'm wrong also because joker talks a lot about how he's not getting any action he's not seeing any you know fire Mm -hmm. And he even says, I, you know, would like to get my first confirmed kill. Is this little girl his first confirmed kill? I think it technically it is. Um, But I I think it's his. It's what we see as an audience with him before they meet with them. That is definitely like a lot more like I want to get in the shit. No, yeah, I know that guy is a little bit more like that. But I think even Joker was like, man, I'm not you know, we're not really doing anything. We're just writing this propaganda bullshit and yeah and he's not as like eager as his other journalistic friend but i think he does make a statement where he's like you know i was hoping i could get my first confirmed kill and i don't think he gets that until he kills that little girl yeah yeah and it's not just i want to get my first confirmed kill Uh, i think it was like i want to be the first one on my block like yeah. you know, him, from where he's from, that has a confirmed kill in war. So it's not only like a sense of pride for him, but it's like status as well. Wow. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, and and honestly, also that's how the, I read it at the, least. Yeah. I agree. The the lighting in that scene when he when he shoots her. And it's just the close-up of his face, yeah. And the lighting is so it's, it's dark, half, and yeah. just it, and it, yeah, it like perfectly splits him because he's like conflicted. When, yeah, without yeah. having to, without That's... having to say anything, he is fully like he he's... is fully disjointed as a person now. Yeah. Like his humanity right. has and, been and his and his oh, helmet, you know, that says "Born to Kill." And his peace button are both in frame while he's trying to make this decision. Damn, yeah. what a shot! Mm-hmm. Because that, that, you know, those are those are two true things. Yeah, he the knows, duality of man. He's, right, he's a killer. He's born to kill, but he also, deep down, has humanity and wants peace. Yeah, the duality right. of man. And mm-hmm. I think you can read that him killing the sniper as him losing humanity but also as him retaining it in a sense yeah because um, he was showing mercy yeah exactly like animal mother is like no he he is very like primal throughout the entire thing animal you know yeah um yeah but like to me it was like you know animal mother and i think maybe one other person i can't exactly recall um we're like no leave her like this what the rats get her you know and she was going to have to suffer you know she's begging to be shot to be put out of her misery and they want to do that and he makes the choice when he didn't have to like she shot the other members of this platoon in non-lethal areas so that they stayed alive um, right. Whether it be intentional or not, that's what happened. Um, and so he didn't have to show her mercy. He could have done a similar thing that she did to, to the them. fellow soldiers. But he decides to put her out of her misery. I think 
that there is a level of humanity in that. Yeah, I mean, it goes to yeah, it is a yeah, like it go it goes to just like everything of like like watching these like Vietnam stuff like back to back to back of like going to platoon of like they show like uh like this one soldier just straight up murder a Vietnamese woman and Willem Dafoe's like like arc in that movie is like him being like I'm gonna fucking rat you out cause like that's that you can't do that and the guy's like well right. what are you gonna do it's my word against yours and then like the other part was like there's another scene in that movie where like these guys are literally like rape about to like rape these Vietnamese women and Charlie Sheen comes up and goes like what the fuck are you guys doing like this is a human and the people like they, their response was just like no it's not well, it like they view them as you. animals and it and and with like the child as well like it's like it like they're not even viewing her as a child like like that's the humanity part of like him like realizing like a it's a child but also b like this is a human being like this isn't like right this isn't like some dark force that like you know killed my you know killed my friends killed killed these men like this is like it it goes back to our Kong discussion last week of like you know with John C Riley's character of like once when you get rid of the war and everything like like you can be brothers like we we are humans <laughs> it's just right. like like war is just disgusting and it's just uh like right uh, uh. yeah it's <laughs> Like the uh, the yeah. are you familiar well, with the Christmas truce during World War Well, it goes back to that lack of humanity. Um... Joel, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I, 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 least... I asked if you're familiar with the Christmas truce with uh, that happened in World War Two. No. Okay, so essentially, what happened is the uh, two opposing no. sides, um, they called a truce for one day on Christmas. And met in the middle, played soccer, and just like hung out as humans, as brothers. And then the next day it was back to fighting. So like that that reminded me you what you were said reminded me of that. Like there's yeah. humanity in all of us. We're these people are just put into these scenarios where they can't exhibit it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, sad. to go back to the lack of humanity and the lack of empathy. Um I, I I'm taken back to our conversation of Full Metal Jacket, where they're posing and taking pictures with a corpse of a Vietnamese person, and that was appalling to me. And at at one point, I mean, that was probably the point where I just felt super grossed out by just the lack of like respect for life and and just the dignity that they were just not willing like literally yeah just just um not giving this this human being the dignity of you know a burial or they're just literally playing with this corpse and um yeah you have to view those people as not people in order to think that way. Yeah. yeah. And I think we're kind of sent into that image really well. Because on the helicopter over, like we talked about before, where the guy's just like mowing down farmers. Um, yeah. Right. 
I wrote down what he said uh, when uh, Joker asked him, like, you know, about what he was doing. Uh, the guy on the gun said, anybody who runs is a Viet Cong. Anyone who stands still is a well-disciplined Viet Cong. And so, like, yeah. we have and, and that lack both. of respect for life <laughs> yeah. and that dehumanization. And then we go straight into that the the corpse scene. Yeah. 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 Very and, much you know, that way. There is, like... That that is really interesting with this sort of like duality or irony. I remember having a conversation um, with one of the vet- veterans back in my hometown, um, and he he served in Vietnam, and he he was telling us in this conversation when he's talking about Vietnam how he he was like it was so bizarre because you would spend all day trying to kill these people and then you would go to the bar after and you would see the same people that you were trying to kill in the bar but Mm -hmm. like you're just hanging out because that's not what your objective is there and so there's just this like it's like a game it's a sport and and it's that's fucked (laughs) yeah and yeah so and the thing is what were you gonna say oh i was just gonna say like that's a kind of a reminder um to tie in a little bit with all quiet on the western front like these people are pawns in this larger game that's being controlled by a few people at the top yep yeah and there's also that scene in all quiet on the western front where the German soldier and the French soldier are kind of met in that that yeah. hole and they you know, he has empathy for this person and he, you know, learns about him and like they see each other yeah. as humans and they stop trying to kill each other. Um yeah. So I just think that human beings are always going to hopefully <laughs> yeah. uh have that second thought of, oh, this is another person but right. war <laughs> tends to put us into fight mode, yeah. you know, like yeah. where we are in survival mode and that other person is not a person. Yeah. That other person is enemy. Yeah. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I do think is interesting. And that's what is- we see in the first part of the movie where they get stripped down and built back up as killers. Like they would, I assume they would never be doing this if they were just going about their daily lives. But now in this context with their training they it's you know they yeah. have to flip that switch yeah it's like uh hearts and minds that documentary well, they're forced to just... they're forced yep. to yes. they're forced to switch their mindsets because exactly they were they didn't choose to be there <laughs> they were forced to be there they were drafted right to be yeah. there um and yep. that's a whole other level yeah. to the vietnam war yeah. um that is different than a lot of you know previous and previous post, post um yeah. military conflicts and things like that yeah there was so. some so one thing is stanley kubrick is like pretty well known for his use of irony in all of his movies yeah and mm-hmm. this movie is chock full of it and some of the some of the big ones i would say um animal mother is I I would say one of the most poignant uses of irony in this movie because he is like 
you know, we're watching him and he is like one of the most depraved people in this platoon, this squad that he gets put in. And he almost is, he's like a stand in for Gomer Pyle for the second half of the movie. Um, yeah. As almost like a, this is what this, this is very well what this person could have become had he been put into the war. Um, but he, he also has, like some of the most poignant lines in the movie. Yeah, he says something like, "You think we waste these, for lack of a better term, gooks for freedom? You think this is why we're out here?" Yeah, this is a slaughter. Right. This is a slaughter. And it's like this yeah. is the same guy that you're watching, and he's just like mowing all these people down. And he, but he has this like he he's got this like humanity turned off. But at the same time, he has no qualms about just stating it how it is because he's like, this is this is this is just what's happening here. We're just murdering all these people. This is a slaughter. But yeah, it's a massacre. Yeah. Right. And then um, even like uh, eight ball when they're doing the interview scenes and he and he's talking about how he says something along the lines of. You know, they took away all our freedom and they gave it to they gave it to them and they don't want it. Um, and they're fighting us for it. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they would rather be alive than free, which is like such a I it's like they would rather be alive than free is oh, an incredible line. Yeah. Um, because yeah. it really does like it, it says so much without saying much. Well, of anything. But all, yeah, because your definition of freedom is very different than their definition of freedom. And the American definition of freedom historically is usually uh, genocide. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay. So I wanted to talk. I mean, you talked about irony. Yeah. And I think irony and satire are heavily related. We've talked a lot about part two. But the satire is really uh, made, well, it's it's really established in part one with this boot camp, specifically with the Hartman character, the, the boot camp. Drill instru- sergeant. Drill sergeant. Um, he's absurd. And like you said, jo- um, Joel, um, he definitely has a Rolex of slurs and says the most terrible things. And I had I wrote this down. I said Hartman walked so that Terrence Fletcher could fra- could fly <laughs> from Whiplash mm-hmm. as he's slapping Pyle's face, and he's like, "Which side did I hit that on?" I was thinking about. Yeah. Am I rushing or am, am I, I dragging? dragging? Um, and <laughs> so I made that connection. Obviously, there's a lot of influence there for sure. But um, yeah, I think that the sat the the absurdity of this boot camp is very much on purpose because it's not funny but it's comical if that yeah. makes sense at all like it's not meant to be a comedy but it is meant you are meant to find the absurdity in it yeah because yeah like you were saying earlier connor i don't think we were recording when you said this but earlier you said something to the extent of like you felt like it was like a dark comedy all right so speaking of like the dark humor and everything i just wanted to talk about that of 
getting into just like 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 what like watching part one and yeah like it has a lot of dark humor and stuff and it's very comical with its scenes but with it it really like like when i watch because i also watched this movie for the first time this year but mainly part one i realized a lot of the dialogue is from stuff that i've seen either parodied or like a lot of it surprisingly is from youtube poops or just like early youtube clips of like stick figures and stuff do saying what the sergeant is saying and i think what's fascinating about that is the reception that this film has gotten of like knowing people that like this movie and they view it more as a comedy not a dark comedy but a comedy specifically with that first half and not understanding that like like the slow devolve of Sergeant Pyle that ends up leading to that horrific scene at the end of part one of him shooting the drill sergeant and himself. And it just really shows like, like it just really shows how bad the military complex system is not bad in that way. Like, I think you guys understand what I'm saying. I'm just like these, these small details that they give you of just like, yes, it's funny, but then there's these weird pieces of dialogue and stuff that Kubrick throws in there where you're like, that's a little fucked up. Like the biggest one that gets me is the scene where the drill sergeant's teaching them how to shoot their rifle. And he asks them about famous assassin assassins. And like, you know, like Lee Harvey Oswald and like the person that, you know, like shot JFK and just like, you know, he shot him at this, that this far of a range. And like, he did that with, because he was a Marine and like, I, and like he viewed the drill sergeant viewed that as a, as a positive because he taught that guy how to shoot a rifle. And he knows that now he can actually shoot a rifle at that far of a distance, even though that's not the message that you should be taking from that. And it's, and it's something where like, I think the movie, yeah, like not as a whole, but at least like, the part one of it all is something where it kind of gets lost in, in its vein until like, again, like you get to the Sergeant Pyle scene of like the, the shootout that happens in the bathroom of just like, God damn, like this is insane. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I think like one leads into the other, um, because like in celebrating, you know, quote unquote, celebrating Lee Harvey Oswald, you're, removing the foreign enemy aspect of it and you're just celebrating that he's a killer which like obviously they're trying to build him up into being a killer but you need to have some sort of boundary you need to like maintain so that these people know like okay like you know celebrate celebrate the people that are doing what you want these people to do as opposed to just general killing. And I think that leads into what Pyle does. And I think that is, that's the satire of part one. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, in, in what I was saying earlier is, I do think, I mean, we've, we've talked about this a lot with uh, certain other films that have, a certain message that has been misinterpreted by people like, for example, American Psycho or Wolf of Wall Street or Taxi Driver, where, um, you know, the message is, hey, this guy sucks. And then, you know, certain audience members, you know, 
glorify those characters. I think that is Kubrick's intention with this whole thing is to, um, I mean, I, I think, I think maybe the message has been misinterpreted and has been lost and maybe some people misinterpret this as a pro Marine movie, but it's the farthest thing from that, in my opinion, um, because same here just him saying yeah. like these people that killed the president is one of our heroes and like like that's an absurd thing to say and yeah. a an intelligent um you know well I shouldn't say intelligent but like if you if you if you catch that that that's the point it's you're, you you need to catch the absurdity mm-hmm. in order to cuz it's it's satire is a very complicated humor yeah. it's it's very much yeah. meant to point to a message not meant to make you necessarily agree with it agree with it or laugh yeah with right. the character but to point out the absurdity of what he's saying yeah so you're laughing yeah. at him not with and, him right and like to further that there it, it like compounds on itself yeah. because you know that scene happens and then pile is a good marksman and so the drill sergeant praises him for you know his ability to shoot a gun and so now you know you've you have these two things and his mental state um like you said connor like rapidly deteriorating um and there's a lot of irony Mm -hmm. in that the goal was to make him a killer and he became one <laughs> and he was praised for his ability to shoot and then the person who made him a killer the person who praised what he could do on the range ended up being shot by yeah. pile i literally wrote down you wanted killers you got them yeah yeah that's <laughs> <laughs> you got him yeah yeah so i mean i think that's the the tough part about this film is that it is ironic yeah and it is satirical and that can be mm-hmm. um a hard pill to swallow for people because you're seeing these horrific images and at the same time the filmmaker is you know poking fun at the system in a way yeah so right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's kind of the point. But do we have anything else we want to say about that? Um, I mean, no. I think I think that's that's like I think that's pretty kind solid. Of like it, yeah. it, ironic, yeah, duality, yeah. It's like all it's Irene, it's all yeah. there. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a movie. Like I, so, I've seen I've seen this movie probably like five or six times at this point i honestly don't know like when i was the i was the kid that came into film school that was like my favorite director is stanley kubrick <laughs> um you know it's like okay wow guys like you um know. joel was this your first time watching full metal jacket what's was this your first time watching full metal jacket yeah okay. um, that was my first time yeah you you told T-Bear's me it was first time. yeah 
Yeah, you you told me it was this episode, so I yeah I watched it at one thirty last <laughs> oh, night. Man, <laughs> thank you so much for yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, being a part of this conversation <laughs> and um it. and and watching this movie so that you could be a part of it. That's that's really cool. So um at I we we eventually go into our ratings. Yeah. So well, I think there were there was technically sure. a couple other things that yeah we were gonna. So if there's a couple of other things we want to touch yeah. on do that and then kind of think about what you would rate this film and why so what else do we want to touch on um i was gonna say i think on on subsequent viewings it does become more apparent like how crucial the second part of the movie is in as a counterpoint to like the first half they do have this meld where it's like the the more you watch the movie it's like oh this is like this movie doesn't exist without these two parts of this movie yeah put 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 side by side it needs to be viewed as a whole which is something i said in my review yeah it's obviously two parts but it needs to be viewed one after the other or it doesn't hit the message that it's trying to hit yeah and i would say like the peak like i mean maybe not the peak but you know another major element of the irony in the movie is the music joel yep i was uh i was gonna mention that um there's something i really like in movies where or i appreciate i guess where a song and what you're watching don't (laughs) mesh but it's done in a way that makes sense and is interesting and is almost fun. Um, so, for example, uh, have you guys seen An American Werewolf in London? I yes. have a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. I have not. So the, the transformation scene when it's Blue Moon in the background mm-hmm. um, and at the end when they play Blue Moon again, like the – it is Blue Moon, right, in, in the transformation scene? I believe so, Yeah. Okay, but it's it's that the juxtaposition of like you know upbeat happy song and like one of the most horrific things you've ever seen, and so a similar thing in a lot of the second half of this movie. Um, but specifically, we watch uh, Crazy Earl gun down to Vietnamese soldiers, and then uh, Bird is the word starts playing, oh, and yeah. so it's it's that same kind of thing. Um, but uh, there was something else that was in the bird is a word scene. And Freddie, I would be really interested to hear your thoughts on this. Um, so do you guys know the, like, the, the story of Custer's Last Stand? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Like vague. Like okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, yeah, Custer led his army into battle because he thought that they were prepared to take on X amount of uh, I think it was Lakota Sioux and another tribe as well. And then a, there were like thousands more than they thought there were. And so <laughs> the entire squadron got wiped out. That's the Cliff Notes version. Yeah. But what was really interesting to me is in the bird is a word scene, as the camera is going down and uh, the people start talking at the very end of it, um, Crazy Earl uh says that uh he'll be custer <laughs> and then uh 
one of the other ones is one of the other soldiers asks. Uh, let me actually look it up real quick. He said they say who's gonna who's gonna be the Indians? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I was just trying to get the the person's right. name. Um, yeah. Okay. So yeah, uh, Crazy Earl says I'll be Custer. Uh, Rafterman right? says who will be the Indians? And Admiral Mother says, and this is a line from the film. These are not my words. Hey, we'll let the Gooks play the Indians. And fa- uh, fast forward a little bit. Um, <clears throat> Crazy Earl dies when he goes into a building and there's this like giant, I think it was a stuffed animal on the ground. And he like picked it up and was killed by the explosion. And so in the same way, it it was like, I would assume intentional because it's like way too direct to not be. Um, But in the same way that Custer got lured into that false sense of security, like, hey, we got this. Crazy Earl went into that building. He was lured into that trap and he went up. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think that like it also, you know, the fact that they make this direct comparison to genocide is also not, you know, lost on yeah. That's very Kubrick much on purpose. and, and yeah. you know, and the writers on this movie is like, you know, like in the in the context of the scene, like they're just all trying to be funny. But at the same time, it's like you are you know there's also like there are there are a lot of through lines between like what we're seeing happening here and the history that you're tying to like the the seventh cavalry is the same cavalry that committed the atrocity that is wounded me yeah and so like this this you know it is. It's like it's. It yeah, is a, and uh, it is a direct alluding to just how horrific all right. of this is. Yeah, and, and another thing that tied in um, how we talked about the residential schools when we talked about Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, there was a quote I wrote down. Um, it said, "I can't remember who said it, uh, but the quote was inside." And again, this is a line from the movie: "Inside every gook, there is an American <laughs> trying to get out." Which immediately made the quote yeah. uh, from Captain Richard Henry Pratt, who was um, one of the main figures of these boarding schools. The quote was the his philosophy for assimilation of God. these native kids in the schools was kill the Indian in him and save the man. So that was those are two. Yeah. It's essentially the same exact quote. Right. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's disgusting. Um, and that's why we have these discussions with people who have uh, knowledge in history that people like me have been essentially purposefully made ignorant of and um, <laughs> making these connections that I was unable to make at the time because I didn't have the prior knowledge and <laughs> I <laughs> that's that's why we're here that's why we discuss yeah. movies yeah. is to to take each other's perspectives yeah it was it, try to make sense of it you know yeah it was just interesting to me to see 
all of the like we talked about earlier how indigenous people around the world have very similar uh things that they have to that they have had set upon them yeah um there were so many through lines between these vietnamese people and american policy towards indigenous people yeah 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 and you know i just want to briefly touch on the media aspect because that is kind of a big part of this film because our main character joker is a part of the stars and stripes newspaper which is essentially just a propaganda machine and how Mm -hmm. that propaganda machine um is used not necessarily to get out to the american people but to continue to brainwash the soldiers because it's really like a military newspaper um And I just thought it was really interesting just to kind of make a connection to like kind of what's going on today in the world. Um, uh, The the, the editor of the paper is like, we shouldn't say search and destroy. (laughs) We should say sweep and clear. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's a little bit more palatable to... Uh, your general audience than search and destroy and it reminds me of yeah. uh you know we don't we're not going to call it a ceasefire we're going to call it a humanitarian pause because that's going to be a little bit more palatable to you know right. the people that may or may not you know disagree with me or line my pockets for you know a future election i might have so um yeah. The the media has a huge story to tell in this film um, because it has a lot to do with keeping these soldiers in line and keeping their humanity at bay so that they can continue to see the right. Vietnamese as other and continue to be killers of the enemy um, and not have any empathy for their fellow man. So that's really all I wanted to say about that to keep that brief. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 To to tie in that, like to go back to the absurdity that we talked about before. Yeah. Um, how are you saying that they don't want to say search and destroy? Yeah. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't that same editor in that same scene, like either right before or right after, say, "Oh, we got to give them what they want." Say that there was a yeah. kill. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. yeah. They say that, and then they say, uh, "Say that it was like a a sergeant, like like a higher rank mm-hmm. officer." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that will get yeah. more. That that'll get them more wild up. Yeah, and they're yeah. just lying. Yeah, so there's there's absurdity within that scene of oh we gotta we gotta on on one hand we gotta like tame our language on the other let's embellish as mm-hmm. much as we want. Yeah, yeah, and it's called the stars and stripes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, all of these things compile onto each other. It's very meticulously. Yeah, and the thing that's put funny together to to make. To, to send that message yeah and what's funny is like the soldiers know that the stars and stripes is propaganda like every single time they have to interact with other military officers the first thing they real the first thing they see is that they're journalists mm-hmm. and then the second they say they're from stars mm-hmm. and stripes everybody's tone changes and they're like oh I'm going to be on the cover of the magazine that mm-hmm. everybody reads here. Yeah. Oh, you know what? You guys are going to say good things about me. And then, yeah. like, nobody cares about saying crazy Incredibly shit to them. Things. Like, yeah. you just, oh, that's easy. You just leave yeah. them more. Mm-hmm. Like, um, because yep. they know that the Stars and Stripes is going to only say positive things about them. Yeah. 
that's the point of it. It's propaganda. Yeah. yeah. Like there was one of them said, uh, I wanted to meet people of an ancient culture and kill yep. them. Yeah. And he's perfectly content saying that because yeah. there's that, that information isn't going to get out to you know, mainstream right. American media that's going to stay in Vietnam with the those public. soldiers because that's the purpose of it. Yeah. And I do think that's supposed to be part of the yeah, satire absolutely. and part of the absurdity is like they're just like saying the the wildest stuff that you could possibly mm-hmm. say um, and the, just, cause, just, just for that to be there. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that just Kubrick's trying to say one thing about these this boot camp and really just american military idealism and then he's trying to say something else about um lack of empathy for vietnamese people and then trying to say something else about the power of media and how it can manipulate people and doing that all within this absurdity (laughs) is is very well done but if you've ever seen dr strangelove like yeah, <laughs> it's it's just ridiculous, but it's you know it's that yeah. he he's good at that. He's pretty good at the ironic. Yeah, and having it be stuff. like very, very like cunning and like sharp. Very sharp, yeah. Um, my the my my last sort of thing that I wanted to just like, I guess sort of show my appreciation towards is the cinematography and specifically how the camera work is great and it is very uniform the camera moves like especially in the first half of the movie it is like everything is on a dolly everything is on a crane or it is completely still Mm -hmm. the camera moves like it is a soldier in the boot camp yes i i definitely took note of the camera work specifically in part one yeah it is meticulous um okay all right joel do you have anything else you want to add sea bear do you have anything else you want to add i think i'm good yeah i think i'm good too i think amazing said all the notes that i need to say all right so who should i start with should i start with joel what is your rating of Full Metal Jacket? And really, you don't need to like get into like the whole review. Just in a brief synopsis, like why you would give it a certain rating. Sure. Yeah. Um, I actually haven't decided yet. <laughs> um, I think I I think I'm feeling a four and okay. a half. Um, the one of the one of the main reasons is how well I think and going back to what I said before, how well the two sides work yeah. together in terms of seeing a loss of humanity in people, just in different ways. Um but also like I mean, performances fantastic, like you guys were talking about, camera work is impeccable. Um I I I think that they did everything that they wanted to do. Um, yeah, I just gotta, I just gotta sit with it a little bit longer before I like throw a number on it. I yeah, think. and you kind of watched it a little, uh, you know. I think you just watched it last night, so it's a little still fresh for you. Yeah, I, I finished it at three thirty a.m. and then fell asleep on my couch. <laughs> oh man, that's completely <laughs> very good. Okay, um, Seabird, do you want to go next? 
Sure. I mean, what more can we say? It's a Kubrick film. <laughs> Nine out of ten. <laughs> like okay, all right. I th- like I think my I think the only reason why I wouldn't give it a ten is just because I'm not really a war guy. Yeah, uh, I don't subscribe to war. I think every the world should just be peace. I mean, all I am also it's a really controversial viewpoint. I'm also anti war. Just so we're. It's I think everybody day. in the show um, is anti war. And uh, <laughs> but I just I just never really get like like war movies never they're never like by oh i gotta go see this one <laughs> like mm-hmm. and i'm not really a history guy um so like this this month is definitely something like i knew i was gonna deep dive because like i'm a, like it's a like a blind spot in my cinema you know cinema but yeah like with this it's like i don't like it, it was definitely something of like it, yeah it's good like like i don't know what more to say it's it's just like again like i just i i don't i don't think it's something i necessarily might rewatch all the time but it's definitely something where i'm like i'm glad i watched it and i do think that maybe down the road i might give it a a rewatch and stuff but it's definitely something where Mm -hmm. i'm like yeah like it it's it's good it's just the only personal reason why i wouldn't give it a 10 is because of personal reasons but yeah yeah Freddie, do you want me to go next, or do you want um, to go next? You go next. Okay, fine. Um, well, I was also teetering myself, Joel, between a four star or, and a four and a half star, because I do think the craft of this mm-hmm. film is great, and I do love the the script and, and the way that it's, um, and the performances and the way that they portray this. It's It's very hard to do satire, so... I just, um, I, I appreciate that. I can see the, um, the artistry in that. I could have gone without, and this is all, I really didn't want to like have like a conversation about this. It's just my opinion specifically, but I don't appreciate the, the Vietnamese women and how they're portrayed in this movie. Uh, specifically the prostitutes. I think it's incredibly insensitive and racist. And I think we can talk about how that could also be part of the satire. But I don't think it's necessary. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I don't really know... Watch Hearts of Mind. ...what um, point you're trying to make uh, with that. And so I also have heard from Vietnamese women specifically who talk about how that movie has led to a lot of fetishization of specifically Vietnamese Mm -hmm. and Asian women and how, um, you know, American people kind of expect Vietnamese to behave in this way. It's kind of like created this kind of monster in itself. And I was like, I knew that was coming because it's such a iconic line. Um, and it yeah. was just, I was like, ugh, there it is. I did not, I did not vibe with that at all. And I just think that yeah. it wasn't necessary for the movie to, I guess, have its message. And so that's what makes it a four star movie for me is this portrayal of women specifically yeah um it's problematic in my opinion 
<laughs> no, I think that's fair. I think that's a fair statement. Um, because yeah. I do think I do think you that should there watch are the documentary. Ways. Though I'm going yeah. to. I will say I do think that there are many ways that that scene could be portrayed differently while still getting this aspect of the Vietnam War across. Um, because like mm-hmm. prostitution was like a very a large element of it, but it's not it necessarily the prostitution be, thing. It's the it's the, it's the stereotype. Accent. Yes, yeah. So that and that's what I'm saying is like there are yeah. there were other ways to approach that scene that did not have it um, come off the way that it did. Anyway, yeah. um, for can I add on that yeah. real quick? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think. I think I can understand like what they were wanting to do with it and like how they would want to like further the characterization of the soldiers. Mm. But I think if you're going to portray if you're going to have, you know, multiple of those scenes, there should also be a depiction of Vietnamese women that isn't yep. that yeah. to kind of like balance it, yep. I guess. Yeah, and I do, and I would argue that that is a misstep. Where it's like you could have had something where like there wasn't another woman in this film at all. Yeah, regardless of yeah, and it's like nationality. Had you, I mean, other than the woman at the end, but that's also a oh girl. yeah yeah yeah. But yeah. Um, I do think it is you know it's also a child yeah. to have a like it would be interesting to see like to see if there was a scene where it's like okay you have this one scene that has this really like dehumanizing portrayal of a person and then it's like you have a scene later on that has like a more like actualized like representation mm-hmm. and just seeing yeah. like kind of how that could yeah. play and, off of and itself, to, but yeah um yeah yeah, and to clarify, like I know that there is the one at the end. Um, what yeah. I meant was a like a depiction of one, like just in daily yeah. life, yeah. like a non-combatant, non-prostitute, or not something that or, like they have to overcome, or you know, do you, do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Or even you know, another another portrayal of a Vietnamese woman or any other woman that is you know, romanticized or sexualized, but not, um, in that specific way. Um, or, mm. you know, it's just, just, yeah, I think the intention was not to be like one where they have more agency, agency yeah. or even a in relationship with another soldier or anything. Um, sure. and so I just think that I don't think it was intended to be insensitive, but it definitely has had repercussions yeah. in society. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, that, I mean, Sir Mix a lot uses it in his the, music. So, yeah, <laughs> I think that's just, right. uh, yeah. yeah, it's been taken out of proportion in my opinion. Yeah. I, I, and to like with what you said, like with the agency thing, I think it's, I think it plays very differently seeing somebody get pimped mm-hmm. out to these soldiers for 10 bucks um, as opposed to a woman seeking out herself yeah. even if it's still you know sex work mm-hmm. prostitution it it's it, it feels different when it's her yeah. initiating as opposed to getting yep. drug over essentially yeah yeah um yeah 
Uh, anyway, I mean, so that's just me. Honestly, I just no. I think you're. I think yeah, you're valid. No, that's totally I'm fair. Like, I respect that. I was that. just like, ah, that's so problematic. I can't, and that it keeps it keeps you know have stars and stars away from rating yeah. sometimes. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's yeah. all I wanted to say about that. So go on. Brady. That's that's valid. Yeah. Okay. Now I will say. <laughs> Yeah, no. Trust me, as someone who's seen the fetishization, no, I can't say it. Fetish, fetishization. Oh my god! Now none of us can say it. There you go. Yeah, yep. I I think you got it. Um, As someone who's seen the fetishization of indigenous women Mm -hmm. for years and years, I think that's a very valid point. Yeah. Um, Now. So for me, had you asked me about this 10 years ago, uh, I would have 100% just said 5 out of 5. 5 out of 5, 10 out of 10. You're not going to say 5 out of 5? Uh, no, I'm going to say 4.5. Okay. And my reasoning being that uh, I watched hearts and minds to okay. be to be perfectly okay. honest all right it's it's like You're i watched me on this <laughs> i watched hearts and minds and i it's just yeah. the 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 difference between the impact that full metal jacket has on me when i watch it compared to hearts and minds it's like i i can't put them on the same level wow. it's just drastically I mean, yeah like mm-hmm. like hearts and minds is it's just can't and that's why like in my letterbox review when i talk about hearts and minds i talk about night and fog because it's they're they're in the same vein okay so all right well um that's coming up on triple feature in two weeks because next week uh we are gonna get to my pick for vietnam vember (laughs) okay uh francis ford coppola's apocalypse now which was released in 1979 and once again we're gonna go see this at the redford because it's playing on friday so um yes yes we're excited about that and so where can people watch apocalypse now i don't think it's streaming on any major streaming service but you can rent it on vod apple Amazon, um, all those places. Yeah, uh, Lionsgate put out a, I think it was Lionsgate, put out a, like the definitive 4K collection and it's the final cut. Under $20. Yeah, the Damn. final cut. It's like three cuts of the movie, 4K Blu ray, the documentary behind the oh scenes. Oh my God. And I want to say it's, and I want to say it's like 18 it. bucks, if that. So, yeah, so it's Apocalypse Now is available on VOD or anywhere you find your movies at libraries. Uh, it's everything that I say every week. iTunes, YouTube, <laughs> Amazon, and Vudu. Um, but like uh, Joel is saying, there is a Lionsgate release that I found at a disc replay for $10, Joel. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Which man. is stupid, like cheap. Joel, have you ever and seen yes, it comes with Sis. I have, yeah. I uh, actually got the 4K because it was on sale for like 12 bucks. Popped it in. That thing, if you it pops. If you have a 4K player out there, it pops. That that is the reason to have a 4K player. That thing looks immaculate. Awesome. Well, we're gonna see it in a movie theater. So, (laughs) 
But I will say this, Emma, and also for our audience, extra credit, please watch the documentary Hearts of Darkness. Please, 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 please. Because I will be talking about that next week. All right. It it was directed by uh, Francis Ford Coppola's wife as he was making it. Ooh. Ooh. If you have the name Coppola, you have to be a director. It's just, it's just... That's just part of it. Mm-hmm. And for our audience, or you change your name and become. And for an our actor. audience that also wants to watch <laughs> yeah. this documentary, for the audience that also wants to watch the documentary, it is available on YouTube as well. Just cool. search "Hearts of Darkness." It is someone uploaded it to YouTube, so if you wanted to watch it that way, alrighty. Okay. But it's also available to rent. Will do. Will do. All right. Well, again, thank you, Joel, for coming. Yes, thank you very much. All of that. So. Thank you yeah, so much, Joel. This is awesome. So, um, audience, we will see Where can see the people you. find you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tell us what's going on in your yeah, life. Yeah, the people... Uh... <laughs> over there, over um... there, and over there. <laughs> Sorry. We're quoting <laughs> hot ones. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, so um, you can find uh, my full review, uh, updated, expanded on a little bit, uh, over on slate.com. Uh, Emma, I believe you said you're putting that in the show notes. Um, yes, and I'm going to put all of that in the show notes. On... Perfect. And then you can find me on uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter, Letterboxd, uh, at try the buffer. Perfect. Awesome. Please, try everyone, check them out. We're going to put Subscribe. all of that on show Follow. notes. All right. I think we are done for the day. So, uh, <laughs> goodbye, everybody. Yeah, thank you all see for you watching. Week. We'll see you next Thanks week. Thanks for listening. And outro music. Start. Yeah, here it comes. It's loaded. It's coming up. I can feel myself editing this right now. <laughs> anyway, bye. Bye, everybody. Okay. We're done. All right. <laughs>